Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. Amen. You may be seated. It's, it's the great theologian Rance Allen that said it's something about that name. Y'all don't know nothing about that song. Man, it is something about the name of Jesus. And when his name is called, demons begin to tremble. I love the way Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. Anybody come to worship the name of Jesus Christ? Come on, come on let's do a little bit better than that. Did you, did you come to worship Jesus Christ? Well, it certainly is a delight and honor to be gathered with you, uh, brothers and sisters, worshiping the name of Jesus Christ. At that name, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess at, at, at some point. You can either bow voluntarily or your knee can be broken to bow, but everybody will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. Welcome to our first time visitors. This is a good moment to welcome you. If you've been here, uh, if you haven't been here and this is your first time being here, we are excited to have you. Uh, it really is an honor for us that you would pass so many churches on your way here to come hang out with us. Thank you for being with us. A couple of things you should know about us. Number one, uh, our church believes that we exist to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Believe that our church doesn't have a mission, but God's mission has a church. And so we fit within what God has been doing here in Brooklyn. Uh, the second thing you should know about our church is we love the word of God. So why don't you guys indulge in me, grab your Bibles and run over to Psalm 23. The Old Testament, Psalm 23. Hey, a couple of things. Um, number one, uh, we are, as I told you guys last week, we're taking a break from our Romans series. Uh, we made it official. We actually took down the letters. So you know is real. That we are taking a break. We'll be out of it for a couple months. We ended chapter 7 last week. Um, our church genuinely believes in going through scripture, going through books of the Bible. Uh, but because Romans is such a long book, we thought it would be a good idea to take a slight detour and a slight break. So uh, we'll be out of it for a few months, but we'll jump back in sometime in the fall, middle to the, towards the end of the fall. Uh, before I jump in, there's a couple of household items that I'd love to uh, talk about and dig into before we get into the word of God. Uh, number one, we had an elders meeting earlier this week. Uh, I don't know if y'all know this, but Pastor Timmy is already bullying me. And so in the middle of our elders meeting, one of the things that came up is uh, the need to give you guys an update on our search for a larger facility. Many of you know that we uh, are in three services in this small room. Uh, when we first moved in, to this church in 2016, this felt like the largest church in the world. Just felt like we had so much room, but then we got to having service and quickly realized uh, that we ran out of room and that we needed to add a service. And so 2017, we added a service. And then another year later, 2018, we realized we need to add a third service. So we're at three services in this building and uh, desperately needing a larger facility. And so in the fall of last year, I came to you guys. I didn't feel any conviction about it. I felt like you guys are God's people. You have resources. They're not yours. They're God's. And so we asked you to give towards a capital campaign to get a larger facility. And you guys responded well. It's interesting that, you know, we didn't, we didn't request or ask for money in terms of having a specific location in mind. We just did it based off of need. 
You guys looked around the room and saw that we needed more people. You looked in the kids' room and saw that we needed more people to give towards the church. And so you guys started to give towards something we called Spread Love. Uh, Spread Love, it's the Brooklyn way. And uh, you guys responded well. And so because we started to have the resources coming in for a facility, uh, we started to search in February of this year, started to really uh, put our eyes on the market and see what was out there. And I told you guys, it's not a surprise that by God's grace, we uh, found something that's four times the space uh, size here. Uh, it is, oh, whoa, whoa, we, we, didn't, we, didn't, we didn't secure it yet. We, we're almost there. Uh, I've been using discretion with you guys, and I haven't been telling you location yet. It's not far. It is walking distance. Um, and, but nevertheless, it's four times the size of this uh, space, not just sanctuary space, but kids' space is four Woo! times bigger. Amen. And God, God is so good that we, we prayed for uh, a kitchen. Y'all remember for missional purposes, God said, I ain't going to give you one. I'm going to give you two kitchens. And so we, we have been uh, in, um, in, in negotiations. And I told you guys that that's been our desire is to negotiate and try to get prices down. But we found something that is very unique. And I still have to use a little bit of discretion because it's not 100% locked in yet. And so... Um, we found something that is unique where we, we are essentially buying the we're buying out a uh, a current business that's in there, buying their assets, everything that's in the space. It's called turnkey. We just literally walk in, they walk out and then we fix it up to make it a church. And um, so I, I've been using discretion. I haven't given you much on what is going on, but uh, Pastor Timmy thought it would be a good idea to lay out a little bit more of what we are doing. And so. Um, I, I can report to you that so far we have signed a contract which gives us exclusive rights to this building, which puts us in what's called, amen, you can thank God for that. It puts us in what's called the due diligence period. And the due diligence period is the period where we get to inspect the building, which we've already done that uh, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, we've inspected the building. We had to do an inventory check. And so we did an inventory check. Um, we had to go deep in um, some legal paperwork, and so we have a lawyer that represents us that's working out uh, all of the nitty-gritty. And so we are in the midst of continuing to uh, inspect the space, reclassify the space so that we can have it operational for church use. Uh, there's a lot of little things that we're doing, but our hope is to be done within the next few weeks. And one, what, what that means is once we finalize all of the legal paperwork, uh, then I can stand before you and say it's official and give you the, the, the space. And, but for now, there's two things you should be doing. Number one, praying. Look at your neighbor and say, you should be praying because God can get in some spaces that we can't get into. And so you should be praying for, for God's favor and God's protection over this deal. And the second thing you should be doing is look at your neighbor and say, give. give. Financially, we still need the resources um, because, you know, it's hard out here in these, these real estate streets. It is, man. You walk, you know, you're walking and negotiating against people that just can walk in with all cash. And so when you guys give, y'all help us to walk with a little bit more Jesus swag. And, and we can sit down at the table and talk a little bit, you know, negotiate a little bit differently if we have resources. So continue to give towards the space. And I'm looking forward to the day that I can stand before you and tell you exactly uh, where the space is. Amen. Uh, second thing I have to quickly, quickly mention is uh, it's probably a good opportunity to also solicit your prayers, uh, particularly for myself and my family. We are about to go on uh, a three-week semi-sabbatical or break. 
uh, we've been running hard for the last uh, several months. And so in August, we are taking three weeks off. Uh, I never really announced that. I kind of just slide out and slide back in. Uh, but I am asking for your prayers. You know, Vance Havner said it well. He said that if you don't come apart, you'll fall apart. And Jesus says something similar. In fact, Jesus is the originator. He says in Mark chapter 6, verse 31, come away to a desolate place and rest a while. So I, w- I want to obey the words of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will be uh, resting uh, over the next several weeks, plan on playing basketball with my boys, taking Ty on a date, uh, traveling around the world, a, a couple of dates, because we got three weeks, maybe three dates once, <laughs> once a week, if the budget can allow. Uh, and then we'll do some traveling, travel a little bit around the world. And uh, I'm really excited about that. So I'm asking you guys to please pray for us. Uh, and don't check out. Stay committed <laughs> to the church. You know, Baptist churches, the pastor leave, everybody going for three weeks. <laughs> we all on vacation for three weeks. But I'm asking, y'all know it's true. But I'm, but I'm asking you guys to stay committed. We, we have some great stuff happening over the next, uh, not just three weeks, but over the next month. We Next week, we start a series called Who Lied to You, basically uh, talking about what has been passed down about understanding the church and how that sometimes, not always, but sometimes can contradict what the word of God has to say. So for the next four weeks, we'll be hammering hammering away at different uh, beliefs that people have that they bring into the church and we're trying to sift to see what's biblical and what's not. And I'll end that when I come back. Amen. All right. Today we are in Psalms 23. You should be there by now. Psalms 23, verse 1, such a familiar passage, so familiar that I, that I almost decided not to tell you to open your Bibles there, but we could just all quote it. Uh, but I know some of y'all are a little trifling and didn't, don't know this passage. Verse 1 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. I want to preach today from the topic, a shepherd's reputation. I intentionally stopped at verse number three, because if we did all six verses, we would be here uh, through into my vacation. And so I decided we'll stop at verse number three. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, Lord, Psalm 119, 105 says your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So, Father, we we don't know. Our path is dark. We need you to illuminate it by the word of God. We we don't know what decision to make and which direction to go and which direction to go in life unless your word tells us. So, Father, may your word get at us today. Pray for conviction in the room, but also pray for a sense of encouragement. May we walk out and rejoice in the work Jesus Christ has done. In other words, may the gospel be proclaimed. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. A shepherd's reputation. Uh, Psalm thir- uh, 23 is one of the most well-known of all the Psalms. In fact, Charles Hatton Spurgeon coined Psalms 23 as the pearl of the Psalms. It, it is a familiar passage. And many people would say that Psalm 23 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Meaning many people know it. This psalm has been memorized by children. This psalm has been memorized by people who don't know the Lord. It's been recited at at weddings. It's been uh, used in counseling sessions. This psalm has has been put into songs. 
It's been preached at funerals. In fact, the first funeral I ever preached was for an infant. And the passage that I used uh, to comfort the family was Psalm 23. It is that powerful of a passage. Many believers and non-believers have committed this one to memory. But I would argue that Psalm 23 is an exclusive. And I don't like to exclude people. But Psalm 23 is an exclusive testimony that is reserved for believers only. In other words, a non-believer, if you have not professed faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot claim the richness of Psalm 23. And we can prove that as we work through this text. Now, we don't know a lot of his- historical background of Psalm 23. The only thing we know is the inscription above the text. Look at the, your Bibles or your devices and look at who wrote it. It says a Psalm of who? A Psalm of David. So we know the author of Psalm 23 is David. And we don't know anything else. We don't know if David wrote this as a young shepherd boy or if he wrote it as an old wise king because we don't know when it was wrote or written. We don't know if David wrote this in a joyous season or if he wrote this in a season of difficulty. But what we don't know about the text does not hinder us from what we do know about the text. Here's what we know about the text that David knew that he served a great shepherd. The point of this passage is that his shepherd is a good shepherd. And, and you, you know, this idea of Jesus being a shepherd pro, uh, progresses in scripture. For example, if you look at John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but it progresses from good to great because Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. First Peter chapter five will go on to say he's the chief shepherd. Note the progression. It goes from good shepherd to great shepherd to chief shepherd. And the only question I have that I want to lay out before we end this sermon is, is he your shepherd? Are you able to claim the richness of Psalm 23? Are you able? And the reason you're not rejoicing right now is because you don't quite understand what a shepherd's job is. In other words, you know, we, we live in a culture that, you know, you probably never even touched a sheep or been around a sheep. You don't know any shepherds. You don't know anybody that has an occupation of a shepherd. And so we're limited in information. But David's going to give us an understanding of a sheep and shepherd. Now, what I love about David in this passage is David gets real personal from the beginning. In other words, David opens up Psalm 23 with two personal pronouns. Look at verse one with me. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is very mind blowing for the ancient reader. When ancient, uh, in ancient times and biblical times, it was very common for you not to refer to God in a personal pronoun. Typically, you would refer to him as our God. In in other words, if you read Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God. But David moves that out the way. And when he picks up the pen to write Psalm 23, he doesn't refer to him as our God. He says, my God. Now, now you're not rejoicing because you think you're privileged and you should have been in a relationship with God. But do you know how massive God is? Do you know how holy God is? Do you know he dwells in unapproachable light? Do you know how transcendent God is and how above us he is? But nevertheless, as big as God is, he allows you to say, my God. 
He allows you to, and not only you to say, my God, but he sits in heaven. He looks down and he says, that's my child. He says, that's my daughter. That's my son. And when you realize that you are a sinner undeserving of the love of God and you have the ability now to be able to say, my God, it shows me the cross worked because the cross bridged the the gap between a holy God and sinful man. Thank God for Jesus Christ. And so he uses this personal language. He says, listen, he's my God. He, he's, he, I don't know if he's your God. He, I'm not even subscribing onto you that he should be your God. I'm just talking personally. He's my God and I shall not want. Now, David, it doesn't surprise me that David wrote Psalm 23 because there's a sheep shepherd metaphor going on in Psalms 23. And who better to write about a sheep shepherd metaphor than a shepherd? David understood the cares of the shepherd and he understood the needs of the sheep. And you would think that David would get it twisted and call himself the shepherd because he was one. David doesn't get it twisted in the Psalm 23 in the passage. He says, I'm the sheep. I'm defenseless. I'm at times prone to wander. I'm foolish at times. And he reserves the right for God to be called the shepherd because he knows that God and God alone is our provider. God and God alone is our protector, that God and God alone is our defender. But don't just note that he's uh, listing out the roles in the text. Note the present language he uses. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He does not say the Lord was my shepherd. In other words, he's not looking back at a time where God used to be his shepherd. He's not looking forward at a time where God will be his shepherd once he gets out of the mess. But this is a present testimony of the present pastoring of Jesus, the present shepherding of Jesus. Right now in this moment, he's able to say, he's my shepherd. I don't know about you, but if he was David's shepherd all the time and, and, you know, his occupation has not changed, then if you've trusted in Jesus, he's your shepherd right now. The one that's leading you is the shepherd. The one that's guiding you is the shepherd. The one that's walking with you is the shepherd. And I know it don't feel like he's guiding you because you're in that season where it feels like all hell has broken loose and you are ready to give up. You're ready to quit and throw your hands up. But don't quit because your shepherd is still on the job and he's caring for you. He's protecting you. He's guiding you. And I know that season feels unbearable. I get it. I know it feels like I got more bills then I got money coming in, but I don't have to worry as a sheep that I got more bills coming in than I have money because I have a shepherd that owns everything. And if my shepherd owns everything, that means he can provide. I don't know why you're quiet this morning, but when we're talking about a, the great shepherd of our souls, it should make us rejoice because here's what I know about sheep. Without a shepherd, sheep die. It's that simple. Without a shepherd, a sheep can't cook. A sheep can't dig up food. A sheep don't hunt. What sheep need is a good shepherd. But I thank God that we got a good shepherd in Jesus Christ and he, he does not end. He does not end being a shepherd, but he remains consistent. So he, ends, he begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd, but he doesn't stop there. He knows that the shepherd is so good and he's so satisfied with the shepherd that he goes on and says, I shall not want. In other words, the shepherd satisfies the deepest longing of my soul. Okay, maybe he doesn't satisfy your deepest longing. See, what happens with Christianity is many times we think that Christianity is you get Jesus plus stuff. 
That's not Christianity. Christianity is you get Jesus and he's enough. Anybody satisfied with Jesus and Jesus alone? If I never get that job, I got Jesus. If I never get that relationship, I got Jesus. If I never get that degree, I got Jesus. And we've built our identity on so many other things, especially on social media. But I want to know, is anybody satisfied with Jesus? The reason we can't get satisfied with Jesus is because we're drinking of the world's goods. When I was younger, I used to go to the basketball court on a hot day. I'd work up a sweat. I wasn't that nice, uh, but don't try me. I got a little bit better. But back in the day, I wasn't that nice, and I, I would get on the court. You better say something, uh, son. I get on the court every now and then, and when I was younger, and I would work up a sweat, and I'd finally get home, and when I would get home, I'd open up the, I'd wash my hands, and I'd open up the refrigerator, because mom didn't play that dirty hands in the refrigerator stuff, and I'd open up the refrigerator, and I'd move past the water, move past the Gatorade, and I'd go for the Kool-Aid. Now, now you got to understand something about black people's Kool-Aid. Listen, we put a ton of sugar, y'all know it, y'all grew up with that Kool-Aid. I'd move past all that stuff and I'd get to the Kool-Aid and I'd fill my cup up and I would drink that Kool-Aid. And one time I was doing that, about five minutes later, I was thirsty again. So I go back in the refrigerator and my mom says, "Uh uh-uh, don't get the Kool-Aid because all of that sugar won't quench your thirst, you'll still be thirsty. Go for the water. Now, now, I know you're sitting there like, what does that have to do with anything? Jesus says in John chapter four, if you drink of the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. The problem is we're not satisfied with the water Jesus gives us. You're thirsting after anything else. You should look at your neighbor and say, boo boo, are you thirsty? Come on, tell somebody, are you thirsty? My, my, okay, fella, say, my G, are you thirsty? What you need, what you need is a tall glass of Jesus. Because if you get a good quench of your thirst with Jesus Christ, you won't want anything else. And the reason we run after so much stuff is because we're not drinking from Jesus. Drinking from everything else. And so I'm, I'm most fulfilled. I'm most satisfied when I'm enjoying Jesus. That relationship will not fill that void. I know you think it will, but it won't fill that void. That job, I, I know it's a lucrative paying job, but it will not fulfill that joy, uh, that, 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 that void. Let, let me go deeper. Uh, marriages, your spouse doesn't complete you. Your, your spouse can't fill that void. And I, well, that's what we do. We put our spouses in places that are only reserved for Jesus. Jesus is like, I, I can satisfy you. you. You don't need anything else. And so David was satisfied and he shows us his satisfaction by saying, I shall not want. I don't want for anything because I got a good shepherd. But he moves out of verse number one and he moves into verse number two. And when he gets in verse number two, he makes two bold statements. In verse number two, why don't you read with me the two bold statements that he makes? Y'all with me? He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Then the second statement, he leads me beside the still water. Here we have David continuing on with this sheep. And shepherd metaphor, and he says, my shepherd basically cares for my physical needs. In other words, he says that the shepherd's job is to protect and give me refreshment and nourishment. And so he leads me to the pasture. That's what a, that's what a shepherd would do. He would take a flock of sheep and lead them to pasture, but it can't just be any old pasture. According to the text, the pasture has to be green. 
Why does it have to be green? Because uh, sheep are foolish. And when, when sheep get into pasture that's not green, even if it's poisonous stuff, when they're hungry, they'll eat it. And so a good shepherd knows in order to care for the flock, he has to lead them to green pasture. In other words, Christ and Christ alone is the one that provides the nourishment. And I don't know if you I, I know, you, you know, you're sitting in here and you look good. But you, have you ever eaten anything you wasn't supposed to eat? I mean, and you paid for it later. OK, y'all, y'all can deep. You ever ate something and it was bubbling in your spirit later? The old saints would say it's B-U-B-B-L-I-N-G bubbling in my soul. You ever ate something that later on you was like, I shouldn't have ate that. My stomach just hates me now. My stomach disagrees with what I ate. One time I was I wasn't going to tell the story, but I was in Philadelphia and uh, I, I was at uh, my pastor's house, Dr. Eric Mason. And uh, we were sitting in the backyard. It's about 1.30, maybe even 2 o'clock in the morning. We sit, we got a fire going, and we talking, and we chopping it up, and we enjoying uh, each other's company. And somewhere around 1.30, 2 o'clock, we both were like, man, let's get something to eat. Now, we're in north section of Philly. They ain't a lot open at 1.30, 2 o'clock. It ain't New York. And so we walk down to Broad Street looking for something to eat, and we get on Broad Street, and the only thing open was a Wendy's. Now, I don't eat fast food. I don't eat McDonald's. I don't eat Wendy's. I don't eat Burger King. I eat Chick-fil-A. That's glorified fast food. Hey, it's glorified fast food. We get to heaven. I think God is so gracious. He's going to give us a Chick-fil-A right by the gates. Somebody say number seven with cheese. Anyway, so, 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 we, so I'm sitting there with, with my pastor on Broad Street looking for something to eat. And he's like, man, let's just go ahead and get Wendy's. I'm like, ah, oh, pastor, I don't, I don't eat Wendy's. He's like, ah, oh, let's just get some nuggets. Well, we went inside and, and uh, I walked back out with a triple stack burger, large fries, and I did get the nuggets. I, got, I did get the nuggets. So we finally get all the food. We're so ghetto that we're walking back to the house and we eat and walk and talking with triple stack burgers and uh, we finally got back to the house and we parted ways. And when I got home, about 3.30 in the morning, something just wasn't right in my midsection. It felt like I swallowed a knife and I was, I, I was in deep pain. But even though you're laughing at me, that's some of your spiritual lives. You've been trying to grow spiritually, but you cannot grow spiritually off of fast food. You'll be malnutrition. And the reason why some of you are spiritually sick right now is because you've been eating stuff that you're not supposed to eat. But when you have a good shepherd, he knows to lead you to green pastures. He leads you to the place where you can enjoy and have nourishment. But a good shepherd, sometimes he'll lead the flock to green pasture and most of the sheep will drop down and start to graze. But every now and then there's a few sheep that won't drop and start to eat. They don't know when they got it good and they'll stand up. But a good shepherd knows to forcefully go over. Look at what the text says. He makes me lie down. He don't ask you. He don't give you an option. He forces you to enjoy. In other words, there are times where we are ignorant to the goodness to the mercy and the grace of God and a good shepherd like Jesus Christ knows how to come over and forcefully cause you to lay down and graze off of green pasture. So, so David says here, listen, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm satisfied in him. So I shall not want, but not only that, he makes me lie down in green pasture. He provides nourishment. But after a sheep has satisfied his fool, he needs refreshment. A sheep would need something to drink. 
So verse number two doesn't just say that he leads me or he makes me lay down in the green pasture. But it said he leads me by the still water. That's the second bold statement of the text that God doesn't only satisfy my hunger, but he satisfies my thirst. And while satisfying my thirst, don't miss it. He protects me. How do I know that? Stay with me, because in verse two, it says that he leads me to the still water. So in other words, just like the pasture had to be green, the water got to be still. Why does the water have to be still? Because sheep are foolish. And so when they're thirsty, they'll wade into running water and their coats and their fur will become wet and they'll lose their equilibrium, fall over into the running water and drown. And so Jesus knows that and David knows that. And so he says a good shepherd, this is what he would do. He would lead the the flock to the banks of the water. But before they can drink, he would take rocks and he would build the dam around the water. And just as you see water spreading and moving and flowing, the sheep didn't drink from the running water. A good shepherd would have them drink from still water because the water's not moving. It doesn't get their coats wet. And I know why you're not rejoicing, because you don't realize what God has kept you from. You don't realize that the good shepherd has built a bank around the running water. And you think, see, my grandmother would say, God has kept me from danger. Seen? See, somebody had a grand grandmother. Danger seen and unseen. In other words, the unseen was Jesus building a dam around the running water so that you could drink from still water. Anybody thank God that he protects me, not just from stuff that I've seen, but the stuff I can't see. Let me go deeper. Anybody was supposed to ever leave the house at a certain time. And you fooled around and you end up leaving late and you finally get out. And when you get on the route that you were supposed to take, you saw an accident. See, that's God. That's the shepherd leading you to still water, keeping you from the running water, keeping your life protected. And I thought you would rejoice more than that. See, you don't realize the stuff that he's kept you from. The fact that you are sitting in here on a Sunday morning is sheer grace. The fact that you are sitting in here is nothing but mercy because the running water should have killed you. But we got a good shepherd that builds a dam around the running water. He says, I don't just lead them to green pasture, make them lie down, but I'm going to take them to still water, water that's not running, uh, water that they'll be safe. And that's what the text points out to us. So verse number one, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, personal. But not only is he my shepherd, he satisfies the longings of my soul. In other words, I shall not want. But not only that, he makes me to lie down in green pasture. Oh, but, but there's more. He then takes me to the still water. So verses one and two show us that God is a good shepherd. But even though he's a good shepherd, there are some times that sheep still wander off. Even with a good shepherd, a sheep can wander off. How do I know that? Because verse three starts like this. He restores my soul. You don't need restoration unless you've wandered off. OK, let me go deeper. You don't need God to bring you back unless you've denounced his goodness and lived life on your own terms. Maybe you don't know the definition of restoration. Here's Webster's definition. Ain't nothing theological about this. Webster's definition of restoration is this. The action of returning something to its former owner, place or condition. You get restoration when you've wandered off. Okay, let me put Bible there because y'all are looking at me real funny. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. 
Luke 15 tells of a story of a shepherd that had a hundred sheep. And in, in the midst of having a hundred sheep, one of them drifts away. Now, I know you think you're the 99 that stays, but we're often the one that has wandered off. But the shepherd in Luke 15 is so good that he leaves the sheep in the open field and he goes after the one. And when he goes after the one, he grabs it, doesn't smack it, doesn't break his leg, doesn't punch it in the face, but throws it on his shoulders and brings it back. Restoration. And maybe you're in here and you're in need of restoration right now. Maybe you've wandered off. Maybe, maybe nobody else knows that you've strayed away from Jesus. What happened to you? You used to be prayerful. You, you, you used to read your word. You used to be in love with the community and the body. You used to be passionate about your walk with the Lord, but somewhere along the line, you strayed away. But it's good that you made it this morning. The reason it's good or this afternoon, the reason it's good that you made it here is because verse three tells me that he's in the business of restoring you. You thought you came here just because it was a nice day. Last week was too hot to come out. So this week I came out to church. You thought you just came here for a cute word. But in reality, you came for restoration. You've wandered. But God is like, I'm not mad at you. I miss you. I want you back. I want to be in relationship with you. Despite the fact I'm good in verse one, despite the fact as a shepherd, I'm good in verse two. I get to verse three and I'm telling you, you need restoration. You need a bringing back. But not only that, there's one more phrase that stuck me and then we'll end here. Verse three says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness. Here it is. For his name's sake. I literally drew a line under that, put a line out to the margin and wrote his reputation. Because in other words, his name, I love that the worship team saying about the name of Jesus Christ. Because the reason why Jesus re, uh, restores you, the reason why he's your good shepherd is not because you're good sheep, but because he was a great shepherd. Let me go deeper. God doesn't accept you because you're good sheep. He accepts you because we got a good shepherd. And that is so important for you to understand that everything Jesus does, he does for his name's sake. He don't do it for your name. He don't do it for your mama name. He do it because he does it because he's good and his reputation is spotless. There is no greater shepherd that has a spotless record like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his book, The Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, it's W. Philip Keller that tells of a story how a shepherd in ancient time would raise sheep for their wool. He would raise them and he would take care of them. They would be healthy because they're, in order for their fur to grow nice and thick and full, he would have to feed them well and give them nourishment by drinking. But when it was time to sell their wool, he would have to march them down to the market. And when he would march them down to the market, he would pick his path very carefully. The reason he would pick it carefully is because he doesn't want them to fall and get hurt. Or worse, he doesn't want an animal to come and maim them. And so he would protect them on their way to the market. But when they get to the market, it was the merchant's job to examine the sheep. He would look at the sheep. He would look at the fur and see if it was a, a sheep that was good enough to sell his wool. But there were a few shepherds in ancient times that when they got to the market, their reputation was so spotless that the merchant would no longer examine the sheep. He would accept the sheep based on the reputation of the shepherd. Okay, come here, gospel. When you stand before God, God will not examine you to see if you're good sheep. 
God looks at you and says, oh, I'm taking you because of the reputation of your shepherd. My son got a good name, and so therefore, his name is good. I'm going to accept you. I know you think you're accepted because of your work, but it's not. You are only accepted because our shepherd is spotless. You are only accepted because our shepherd is blameless. You're not blameless. You're not spotless. But you get presented as both because of the shepherd. You have a good shepherd. Can we praise God for the shepherding of Jesus Christ? I'll end with this story. I know I got a lot of stories today, but they're in my soul. There's a story of, of, of two, um, two flocks of sheep, and they grazed in, in, in adjacent fields, and the only thing that divided them was a fence. And one of those, on, on one of those sides, the, the sheep were healthy, and they were strong. They looked great, and they were vibrant, and they were only healthy and strong because their shepherd cared well for them. But on the other side of the field, adjacent to them, was a, was a pasture that uh, had a bunch of sheep that were sick and weak and feeble. And they were feeble because of the negligence of their shepherd. Story goes that one of the sheep went over to the fence and collapses. And he's about to die and all of the strong sheep are walking by and they're laughing and they're mocking the sheep that's about to die. And finally, the strongest of all the sheep comes up to the fence and the, the weak sheep that's about to die looks up and he says, go ahead and mock me like everybody else. But the strong sheep says, I will not. Because if it were not for my shepherd, I would look like you. See, this is the testimony of everybody in this room. If it were not for Jesus, you would be sick. Spiritually, you would be ashamed. You would be stuck in your sins. But because we got a good shepherd, he cares for us. And he gives us nourishment. And I don't know who it is in this room that you're in verse three in the top part. You need restoration. Shepherd has been good to you. Shepherd has been kind to you. Shepherd has given you nourishment. He's given you refreshment, but you still wandered off. Every head bow and every eye closed. Who is it in this room that hasn't been satisfied with Jesus? He says, I, I shall not want. I don't want for anything because I have a good shepherd. Who is it that you might have trusted in Jesus, but you've added to the gospel? You don't allow it to just be Jesus, but it's Jesus plus a bunch of other stuff. You've cluttered the cross. Who is that person? Or maybe you don't know Jesus. And real restoration starts for you at accepting what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. Goes to a cross over 2,000 years ago and takes all of your sin your past sin your present sin and he's so daggone good he took sin that you ain't even commit yet and because he's taken all of your sin he now allows you to be presented as strong sheep even though we're weak i'll say it this way i'm not gonna open the altar today because i think all of us are on the altar all of us are prone to wander all of us have made foolish decisions. I don't care who you are. Everybody in this room has made a decision to walk away at some point. And what we need is genuine restoration. Father, I pray for everybody in this room. You are good to us. You're a good shepherd. You do lead us 
to the still waters. You do make us lie down in green pasture. But Father, forgive us for not knowing that that's enough, but desiring more. Help us to be satisfied in you. Forgive us, oh God, for allowing the relationship to be seemingly satisfying. Forgive us for allowing the job, the occupation, the career to take us in places where we wandered from you. Forgive us for allowing the money to be our God and our shepherd and not you. You haven't done anything but been good to us. So Father, we repent in this room for being disobedient sheep, wandering sheep that are ignorant to your goodness. Father, I love your text because after you restore us, you lead us to the path of righteousness. So Father, that's somebody in this room. They're in desperate, desperate need of the leading today of a good shepherd. So Father, would you do that today for your glory? Help us to realize like God, you, you're not just the God of epiphany, but you're the God of individuals. Let me say that again. You're the God of individuals. Every one of us have a piece of you. We have a relationship with you. And Father, we thank you for it. Because you could have been distant and disconnected from us, but you're not. You choose to be intimate. Father, we thank you. May this word, may we hide it in our heart. May we be doers of the word, not hearers only, lest we deceive ourselves. It's for your glory and for the fame of Jesus Christ, we pray.